Listening to FBI Money 4.5, and this is Canvas, a show about art and ideas created by a team of artists. We are broadcasting from the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay respects to our Indigenous listeners and their elders, past and present. My name is Nat Randall. My name is Abdul Abdullah. My name is David Capra. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. Big shout out to our Daddies. Yeah. Happy daddies. Father's Day, Daddy. Oh, yeah, happy Father's Day. Oh, you've just remembered, Abdul. Um, we've got a big, beautiful program this morning. Nathan Burnfield, one of Canvas's many producers, interviews John Safran about his book, Depends What You Mean by Extremist. Um, artistic director of Underbelly Arts Festival, Rosalind Helper, joins us this morning, along with exhibiting artist Marcus Whale. But before that, what have we seen this week? Oh, I've had a huge week. It's you been have. Uh, like every night since Wednesday. So on Wednesday night was Deb Mansfield and Gary, Gary Castley at, at Pom Pom. And that was a lot of fun, that show. And also at Wellington Street Projects, there was a really terrific exhibition curated by Elise Goldfinch featuring our my current favourite artist, Kai Wozakowski. Uh, that's up for another couple of weeks, so definitely worth checking out. What sort of work does Kai make? Oh, he had these... He had these little screens that looked like mobile phone screens that attached to wires that went into the wall. And on the screen, there was this like beautiful picture of a waterfall, a beautiful video of a waterfall. I'm playing around with different images of mountainscapes. And I've been really into mountains recently. So it was was right up my alley. And also Patricia Piccinini at Rosalind Oxley. That was on Thursday, as well as Gemma Smith and Sarah Cotia. And um, at Seracotia, and then Danny Morse has a show on at Chalk Course with these with these with these rocks that he's painted to look like other things, and that's a that's a really fun and fantastic show. And then Friday night was a big one, the first draft fundraiser auction. And I tell you what, you don't get that community in Melbourne, you don't get that community in Perth. Sydney's where it's at, and they all everyone came together from art students to collectors to museum directors. They were all there, all supporting uh, an artist-run initiative that I think we've all done stuff at. Yeah, it's incredible. Did you buy up big? No, I I'm on a budget at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I um I have famously been known to just be the first bidder on all items. <laughs> I really irritate the auctioneer because I'm usually that sort of drunk woman down the front going, "Yeah, yep, I'll that take that." Be it. And it's like, no, you you can't afford it. Please put your hand down. <laughs> David, what have you been up to this I've week? been emailing, but I've been, oh. I've been, I've been emailing someone very special. Who? Do you know who Kim Novak is? No. Oh, I should know. Kim Novak. Kim no- an act, uh, actor. She yeah. is, yeah. So she was the, the the main lead in the film Vertigo, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. And You've been I've been, emailing I've been Kim- emailing her and she is putting in a work that I am. So she is also a painter. She um, she recently I think there was a um, there she recently a co uh, oh she presented an Oscar at, at uh, with Matthew McConaughey that was the last time I saw her on TV but she um, she's actually putting in a painting um, in a show I'm putting together at Campbelltown Arts Centre for next Whoa. year called Sheer Fantasy so this has been like being in a real fantasy for me oh my god and, what's her um, email. I can't, I can't quite tell you that. Oh, okay. But um, <laughs> but she's very lovely. Yeah. She's very nice, and she um, Does she give she, you kisses at the end. Not so, quite. We're okay. not up at that stage yet. <laughs> but um, she she actually um, she actually was commissioned by Turner Ca- uh, Classic Movies, which is a cable network in the U.S., to draw a portrait of her, paint a port, paint a big painting all about being in the film Vertigo, Whoa. and she is. It's a very special painting. So I'm thrrilled. I'm oh very thrilled. God, Who do they David. present the Oscar to with Matthew McConaughey? I can't even remember that. <laughs> but it was a bit of a controversy. They oh. weren't very nice to Kim. Kim was a bit anxious on stage, and then it brought up this whole. It was just it went it went viral actually, and um, it just publicly opened up. they were rude to her. Yeah, they well it raised the question: Has Hollywood really changed, and um, you know, and their attitude towards mm. women as well? So it was a, it was um. It was quite a um, a huge uproar, but yeah, um, that's my story. <laughs> and I've also for the show we're locking in Federico Fellini drawings, uh, the Italian film director, and William Wegman. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated. But it's a very exciting show. Wow. Yeah. What about you, Nat? 
Ah, uh, not been doing much. Just going to weddings and barrel and <laughs> yeah. um, oh, not yeah. seen much art. <laughs> just yeah, just really enjoying my life at the moment. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> Did you get some donuts at? Is it barrel? Oh, no, no, that's berry. berry. <laughs> you always get those two confused. That's what um, you do. You get your donuts and you get back in the car and you keep driving. Yeah, yeah but now you don't have to do it because they're going to do a bypass, so you don't even need to stop in Berry. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, no, Berry's great. Um, we're going to get to our curated tracks. This is Post Motel, who's um, also known as Rory Greenway, and they'll be curating our tracks for the next month. And this is Doubt by Jukuru. was Doubt by Jukaroo. Um, earlier, I think it was a few months ago, um, Nathan Burnfield, one of our, our many amazing producers here at Canvas, interviewed John Safran um, at this year's Sydney Writers Festival about his book, Depends on What You Mean by Extremist. Have a listen. <laughs> I have no answer except for my instinct tells me that uh, in the overall mix of things it's really helpful to have comedy voices and it's really helpful to have smart alecks that poke away at things and that, so that's my contribution.
But it started because of the, my background, as you know. So already those things are like floating through my head all the time. And uh, yeah, so, so it, it, it's like the, the issues of like racism and secrets and everything. Because I grew up and in my high school years, I'm hanging out with these Hasidic Jews who have been sent from New York to Melbourne to help bring about the Messiah. Yeah, right. and, then, and then in the evenings, I'm with my grandparents yeah. and like we never, I, I don't even think there was like even one conversation, for instance, about the Holocaust, but I kind of knew that they had escaped and all their family had been killed. And so I was like living with, and at the time I didn't think about it, and but there was like a slightly kind of mad energy about them. You know, they had like so much canned food, like, you know, just in case or whatever. So anyway, so there's that kind of all this stuff floating about and that, and how's that not gonna like mess with your head? Do you all feel the, yeah. like behind all this, what you're doing? What? Yeah. Do you have like, is there something sincere you care about? Like, is there like oh, yeah. ideologies yeah. that you not ideologies, but like values you have you hold? Did yeah, absolutely. So in the case of this book, definitely there was an element where I consciously, whilst writing the book or researching the book, I was going, oh, there's all this sort of like grubby, casual anti-Semitism, or at the very least, sort of like people turning a blind eye yeah. to anti-Semitism because. It's a bit awkward, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like the wrong people, the wrong people are committing. It's like, like if Trump supporters are anti-Semitic, like the left on board, like, yes. yeah, fuck Trump supporters, anti-Semitism is really bad. like someone from extreme left. Yeah, yeah, or, or if it's like Muslim anti-Semitism. And I just made a decision, I just said, I'm going, I have a platform, and my book's going to be filled with lots of other things and things paying out on Jews for being racist and Islamophobic. So I just felt like... Okay. I just felt like, no, I'm absolutely going to go there, and I'm yeah. just going to, I'm just going to fucking not let, I'm not going to let casual anti-Semitism off the hook with all these like pat little explanations yeah. as, as to why why it doesn't count, and yeah, yeah. you know, I'm sure like, my family's really proud of me for that. Yeah, I, I've already got a bit of good feedback for that. Which, 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 yeah, some of the right wing dudes kind of are already going hard on me because they, they, they it's almost like they haven't re- they have read the book and they always they almost like pretend the book that it is doesn't exist because they're right. like they just want to like attack me for being some sappy left wing pinko or something Even, and, and it's almost like they're pretending in the book I don't spend a significant amount of time with Australian ISIS supporters and I go right. there like, like they because they, 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 I want their pat little thing like to be like ugh what about the other side yeah yeah he goes oh he'll God, he'll criticise, you know, he'll criticise the white Australians, but he won't say anything about, you know, Islam or whatever. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about my book? Like, I spend yeah. so much time with Aussie ISIS supporters and stuff yeah. like that. So anyway, but, so that's an example of a value, and I've already got a, pats on, a couple of pats on the back from the Jews who were like, good on you, John, for going there. Good on you, man. Yeah. Yes.
That was Corinthians by Border Menace. You're listening to Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI 94.5. Rosalind Helper is an artist, writer, curator and director of Underbelly Arts. Uh, she was the artistic director of Electro Fringe from 2012 to, 20, uh, to 2016 and founder of online exhibition space New Physics. This year's Underbelly Arts Festival opens October 7th to 8th at the National Art School. Welcome to the studio. Good morning. Hello. Were all those facts correct? <laughs> Every single one of them was accurate. Our research was okay. Yes, you did well. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> Roslyn, what is Underbelly? Um, underbelly Arts is um, the most exciting thing to happen to Sydney in 2017. Just going to own it. Lay it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a two-day festival of art in all its forms. So we have commissioned 21 bold new projects from artists from around Australia who will be presenting their works um, across two days at National Art School. Now, now with things like Sydney Contemporary and Spring 1883 both opening this week and next year's Sydney Biennale being rolled out over the next few months about who's involved in that sort of mm. thing, what makes Underbelly Arts Festival so different? Underbelly Arts is the place to see art um, by Australia's most exciting emerging artists. It's the first place that you go to see what's going to what's going to be in Sydney Contemporary and what's going to be at the Biennale in the next, in the coming years. Um, we really have our finger on the pulse of kind of what artists are making really new, exciting work. And the other big difference is that we are, um, we are a creative development lab as well. So artists are on site for the two weeks leading up to the festival, making their work um, in the space and audiences come and see, can, can come and see that process in person and meet the artists and ask them questions about their work. And so there's a real kind of community vibe about Underbelly Arts where um, we're welcoming people in to see those processes and be part of the experimental arts community. Rosalind, if we uh, scan across the the art scene, there's a lot of commercial galleries out there and so forth, and that puts an artist on a certain path. But what do you think something like Underbelly uh, does for an artist? What path do you think it, it puts an artist on? Well, it's a great question. Um, and commercial outcomes can be one of the important um, paths that artists who are involved in Underbelly achieve. Um, you know, that kind of... Um, Sustainable career is very important for artists living, well, always, and particularly in Sydney today. But um, I was an artist myself um, in the last two Underbelly Arts Festivals and the opportunities that came out of um, being presented at Underbelly Arts um, were far beyond the kind of commercial opportunities that have arisen, but more, you know, you make lifelong friends with other um, artists, other experimental artists working in similar spheres to you and um, that sense of community that, that is developed over the course of the Lab and Festival is something that's really invaluable. Um, in addition, we invite a lot of other curators and programmers and producers from festivals and other institutions from around Australia and internationally to see the works that are presented. So um, those opportunity that opens up pathways for artists to present their works um, further down the track um, around the country and internationally as well. Rosalind, um, Underbelly started in 2007, so 10 years ago, as a, as a response to the number of artists working out of their bedrooms and in warehouses and in isolation. In its 10th year now, how has Underbelly shifted? Well, yes, we started um, with a real... the. the the founding directors identified a real need to find a space for artists to create work together um, or in, in the same environment and to be able to present that. Um, and over the last 10 years, it's it's funny, some things have changed and some things haven't. Um, it's still incredibly hard to find affordable space to create and present work in Sydney. Um, but at the same time, Underbelly Arts has grown exponentially um, from its humble beginnings um, that we started out at Carriage Works and then we moved to Fraser Studios before that was redeveloped as um, Central Park. Then we're out at Cockatoo Island for the last three festivals and that really um, kind of increased our exposure to broad audiences and um, made it more of a festival vibe. Um, and that's been really exciting and, and it, now it's my job to kind of take that legacy to National Art School and um, continue 
yeah, continue that broad exposure for artists. Abdul will get to the, the shift in location, but I just wanted to quickly ask around audience expectation mm. because I think it's a real it's a real challenge to sell a festival of unfinished work and mm. also it's a very raw um, space in which artists are presenting their work. How do you kind of mitigate yep. expectations for artists and audience in that space? That's, that is a great question and as I, as I kind of mentioned, the festival has really shifted in the last 10 years from, from it being a focus on the development of the work to now um, quite a strong focus on the presentation of, of the works as final products. It is a really, that two-week lab period is a real period of risk for everybody because anything could happen. The works haven't ever been made before. This is a first go um you know, presentation, but at the same time, we've developed a lot of longer lead development opportunities for our artists. So we're down at Bundanon Art, Cent- uh, Art Centre for a couple of times in the lead up and we've placed artists in lots of different um, residency opportunities in the lead up to the lab. So now, nowadays, they're not really coming in just with an idea. They've got a pretty, f- pretty formed project that they're executing um, and honing and finessing over the course of the two weeks to then present. And we are really focused on making that, that presentation super high quality so that um, artists, uh, audiences are seeing um, really brilliant work. Yeah, the um, I remember the last two Cocteau Island shows, and the last ferry back to the mainland would be a th- like a th- difficult, <laughs> but amazing and lots of fun. Like everyone would sort of get on these boats and you feel like they want to sink. <laughs> but the um, now you're at the National Art School, you're back yeah. on the mainland. Yeah. What are some of the benefits of the National Art School? Well, the big benefit for us is um, is the two week Creative Development Lab. So audiences, your tickets. Um, as as well as access to the two day festival, they get you access to all of the the tours and the events that we're running during the two-week lab that run from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday over the two weeks. So you can drop in, come and, you know, after work on your way home, meet, see a, do a tour, see a, see a talk. Um, and that is a real benefit of being so central at National Art School. It's on the Burke Street bike path. It's 10 minutes from King's Cross. You know, it's um, we're hopefully... We're hoping to kind of really reinvigorate that period as a time when audiences and artists can hang out together. And Rosalind, I first met you when you were finishing up at Electro Fringe. And how did you end up director of Underbelly? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, <laughs> I've i been doing a lot of work, um, kind of curatorial work and, and as an artist. And I think... Um, the board were really keen to see um, an artist-led organisation. Underbelly returned to being an artist-led organisation and um, my participation in the last two festivals, I think, gives me a really kind of great perspective on on what support artists really need and really fighting and advocating for that support um, to kind of make the festival Underbelly Arts um, its kind of core values really mm. speak out and be reflected in the programming and in, in the output of the work. Um, so I was in, yeah, I, I applied and was lucky enough to be selected and um, just dive in and, <laughs> and yeah, and, and go for it. And what do you, how does it affect your approach being an artist, do you think? Um, look, I don't have all the answers and I'm definitely learning a lot as I go, um, but... I think it's it's really beautiful being able to have a relationship with artists that is um, peer-to-peer rather than more director to artist. And um, I think that's really helping to kind of create um, a, a real community vibe about the festival. And we've been doing artist drinks and lots of kind of residencies in the lead up. And so I think there'll be a really kind of strong support network for artists that we're developing um, in the lead up to the festival and hopefully beyond as well. And it is quite a big opportunity, isn't it, to be directing a, a really large, a really large arts festival. What have you learned about yourself as a practitioner? <laughs> yeah, I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> um, I've just, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I've learnt that. Um, that maybe I'm too nice sometimes and I have to say no. <laughs> um, but also I'm learning a lot about Sydney and about the conditions that are required to make art 
but that is both radical, experimental, and large and large scale, and the, and really kind of diving into the difficulties and kind of red tape around what that what is involved in making that stuff happen, and then really kind of fighting the fight to make it happen. Now, I first met you as an artist when you were doing the 2013 edition of Underbelly. What was that project? Um, the 2013 Underbelly Arts, I was part of, uh, working as part of a collaboration called Zin, and we created a, a project where it was a party, basically, um, that we set up where all of the punters who came were kind of clients of our fake company called Zinjin. <laughs> and... Within the party, the currency instead of money was personal information. So if you wanted to buy a drink at the bar, or if you wanted to get into the VIP section or like do one of the activities, you had to answer a, qu- a simple question with personal information about yourself. And everybody in the party had an ID number that we matched that information to and built up these secret profiles of everybody in a back room <laughs> over the course of the party. And then we made that information public about three hours in where everyone wow. was like pretty... Um, like let's say inebriated enough to like really react one way or the other. <laughs> so some people reacted by kind of like finding their profiles and tearing them down. So other people were just like writing shit on other people's profiles, and, like basically like, hacking into them and, um, you know, like kind of sabotaging other people's profiles and yeah, or adding things to their own or, you know, it was just a real kind of obviously a metaphor for our online space and like how we kind of give away information so freely and what could kind of happen with that if it was abused. But um, it was also just a really fun night. <laughs> and it sounds like that the project management skills that you've developed over that project have really transitioned quite well into Underbelly. Oh, yeah. I'm, look, all of... All of art making is administration, <laughs> really. <And> so <laughs> I've done plenty of it. <laughs> handling drunk people at launches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, also, there's a huge spread in Time Out Sydney. Huge. Huge. It's, um, yeah, it's the latest Time Out Sydney. There's a whole bunch of uh, different profiles on lots of the... What to see when you're there. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a personal favourite? Can you pick your favourite child? Oh, I can't pick my favourite child, but I'll talk about one really quickly. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite projects, and I'm wearing their, t- their T-shirt as... Um, oh, that's cool. ...as um, proof. <laughs> um, compla- we should get a photo. Yeah, yeah. Complaint Department. Um, there's three artists, Angela Garrick, Nick Warnock and Yaron Gadsby, currently have a public call-out um, where you can go onto their website, complaintdepartment.com.au, and... Um, Submit a, submit a complaint. It can be about anything. And they are taking all of the complaints and they're going to, res- they've, they've developed a complaint ensemble who are going to respond with a musical composition to oh each complaint. Oh my God, complaint. that's so great. And it's going to be like a concert with all of the complaints oh, and yeah, the, so the cool. musical responses wow. to them. So. I used to work for um, <laughs> Office of Fair Trading in ACT for the advice and complaints section and I used to open the mail and um, <laughs> people complain about the weirdest things. There was this woman that took a photo of a yogurt cup and the flavour <laughs> the flavour was cheesecake and she said, so I was eating my yogurt and I got to the bottom of the cup and there was no biscuit base. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And you have to log that shit. Like, and so we, they had to respond to it. But yeah. people complain about, you know, percentages of fruit in muesli and, you know, it's like, good. it's great. I think they're going to have too many complaints oh, they, to know what to do with, everyone to be honest. Has to, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, that is brilliant. And yeah. I want to get one of those T-shirts. We're going to put it on our Facebook page. Thanks so much, Excellent. Roslyn. Thank you. We're going to get back to our curated tracks uh, by Post Motel. This is Crass by Walls.
That was Crass by Walls. No stranger to these airwaves, Marcus Whale is a Sydney composer, musician and artist. This October, Marcus, um, Polyphony and Eugene Choi will be working towards creating a big musical titled Praise for Underbelly Festival. Good morning. Morning. Um, Marcus, you're embarking on a, a massive project. Can you tell us about it and what the genesis for this idea was? So, okay, I think I feel like massive is is great. I I love that. Isn't it big? Rosalind was saying large scale earlier, so I just assumed it was a a big, massive project. You know what? I think large scale is always relative. Isn't it? <laughs> so, well, let's 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 map it out. There's going to be a choir. There'll be a choir of around thirty people. That's pretty massive so far. I think. Well, I feel like in the scale of underbelly. Person, personnel-wise, it's a lot of people. Um, so it's a it's a project that uh, Eugene and I cooked up um, because of a shared history as um, adolescent Christians. Uh, for me, it was we, well, we had very contrasting experiences, uh, but somewhat equivalent experiences. Eugene uh, was deep in the Pentecostal vibe, like the happy clappy. <laughs> Pentecostal vibe, um, you know, into, into her, like all the way through her teen years. And I was in the St. Mary's Cathedral Choir, so on the other end of the spectrum, in the Catholic vibe. Both uh, forms of Christianity that, uh, in their rituals, employ a lot of pageantry, very differently, of course. Um, the other thing is that Eugene, and this is something I, I really love about Eugene's origin story, is that simultaneous to all this Pentecostal worship, she was also a goth, like full on, <laughs> full on goth, um, was like kind of, I guess, oh God, I don't want to speak for her. She could have been here this morning and, and spoken about Satan, but um, it's just me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think weighing up... Uh, I think a, a lot of different types of worship and, and the confusion of worship. So this project involving the choir, involving Eugene and I performing, involving Eugene's sculpture, uh, is to do with trying to create or replicate that feeling of uh, sensual, uh, being overwhelmed by the senses in the ritual of sacred worship, uh, but like devoid of the mythologies or the specific mythologies of, of, of Christian ritual. Wow. And how did, how, did it, how did you find this out about Eugene? Like, how did you know you had this in common? Well, I, f I feel like with Eugene's identity, being a, a lapsed goth <laughs> and a, a sort of a lapsed, lapsed Christian, mm. I, feel, I feel like that it, it almost emanates from her and the kind of fragments, the the shadows of that past um, intermingle with her personality in this like quite beautiful way that that I that I love. I, I so I, I feel like I was just not surprised when I found out uh, about that sort of that part of her. And I'm I'm always owning my choir past. Like it's really uh, big for me. I think uh, and and sparked a lot of uh, a, a lot of themes throughout my life like things that I'm interested in um like for instance I was uh, re I've been reading lots of and watching lots of Tori Amos interviews lately over the past um few weeks I'm not sure exactly why uh but I th I think it um oh it's because she's got a new album coming out not relevant uh, <laughs> But I, I've, I've realized that, that the, the real, I think, overarching theme of her work, uh, and it's, I feel like it's in everything, is the intermingling of the sacred and the sexual. And I, th I think that's like super deep in her work. And I think that's why I identified with her music so much. Because she was a, like her whole thing, she says it in most interviews, I'm a minister's daughter. Um, and then there's like songs, several songs where she talks about masturbating upstairs while her, or being punished for masturbating, like all this kind of, um, stuff to do with like sexual repression and spirituality. And I, I really identified with that in my experience, 
um, because I was in that choir at the same time as I was, you know, discovering sexuality, discovering, um, you know, being queer and stuff like that. Um, and the intermingling of those experiences, um, I think, like, informed the rest of my life, like, in, in many ways. Yeah. Is this the first time that you've um, collaborated with Eugene? Yeah, it is. It is Well, at least um, in a project that we're both leading, because um, we have both been involved in Ivan, Ivan Chang, who's an artist, um, his performances. Usually Eugene uh, is a, a sort of textual spoken word performer and a and movement performer in those Ivan Chang works and I'll write songs. Uh, it's a really lovely little little group that that gets together for these performances. I think there's been three so far over the over the last few years. Um, uh, yeah, and it just feels feels really nice. Uh, Rainbow Chan's also usually involved and a trumpeter called Shota Matsumura. Um, so we're this like little um, cute Asian family uh, <laughs> that makes these... Um, uh, well, that, you know, Ivan directs us to make these uh, very text-heavy, movement-heavy, sound-heavy... Um, works that are usually quite short and really cute and nice <laughs> and oh. so yeah i really i i wanted to extend that relationship with eugene because i already do stuff with rainbow as well well one of the first times that we met uh, and with roslyn as well was the 2013 underbelly arts festival where you presented a project how has your experience changed from that that 2013 version to the 2017 version in 2013 i was one year out of uni doing, uh, I did a composition degree and I was really interested in trying to apply my music composition ideas to a form of performance that maybe had other um, elements, you know, my body in space, projection. Uh, and 2013 was really all about trying to experiment with video and, and like a lot of different forms that I, I still don't really have much expertise in. Um, I think this, and I was also alone, even though I did have a video collaborator, he lives overseas. So I was, I was in the space pasting up all this plastic for things to be projected on. Um, just having a really weird, funny time in this side room of the Cocktail Island. Um, going like what the hell am I doing you know I suppose it's part of the the vibe of the lab is 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 just this kind of searching that's meant to result in something but um ultimately like has this atmosphere of of not knowing I think with this project I I feel like I'm I'm equipped I feel like I'm better equipped now to um try new things or at least know that the types of forms that that I can try things in and then having Eugene there uh is going to make I think a huge difference in this edition um because you know she's as far as I'm concerned like super experienced in like very a, a lot of different forms of movement and I'm not really I, I really just want to let her lead me and and guide me and shape me um and I'm like so open to that I'm so excited for that yeah both like Cockatoo Island and the National Art School are pretty like challenging spaces to work in, I think. Like the architecture, the history of the places can be quite domineering. How have you found that as an artist working in these spaces? I really enjoyed uh, working in Cockatoo Island because of of how how much intervention this space has in the work. Like it's just completely unavoidable. Uh, yeah, I think that that experience for me was 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 great. I think with National Art School, it's still got a lot of baggage, but the baggage is, is it's less exotic. Right. Right? You, you don't have to get a ferry there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not such a, um, you know, literally getting a ferry to an island, like that is an exotic experience. <laughs> um, National Art School, I think, yeah, I suppose there's, there's, there's that history of it being a, a, a women's prison and, you know, like we're performing in the Cell Block Theatre, which literally has someone's, uh, tally on the wall for how many days they they've been in in their cell, you know. If you if you have a look in the on on the walls, there's all kinds of uh, documentation of the history of the space, and it's pretty grim and intense. Um, but I th I think I feel like the the atmosphere is different because it's there's so many 
different layers of things that have happened there and you know the history of the space that uh, maybe it's a little more garbled um but it, you know it's a really beautiful room perhaps because of all those layers yeah and you've got something on quite different this week uh, i might have got my details incorrect but are you djing at sydney contemporary i am performing, performing sydney, i'm sorry sydney yes. contemporary um which, which is gonna be lovely it's on thursday uh yeah what can we expect I'm going to be performing my solo music project, uh, which is under my name. I normally perform with two drummers and I sing. Uh, I think it's going to be in the middle of the foyer. So it, it's, it's a kind of performance situation that I don't normally find myself in. There'll be people like milling around looking at the, the um, huge like cluster of art everywhere. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. But I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it'll be worth checking out. <laughs> it's just like, you know, there's going to be so much going on. I, I Yeah, it's beyond my imagination. And um, you'll also be appearing in one of my photographs that will be showing at Sydney Contemporary. Uh, I needed someone who really knew how to use their body. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in dance? My, my background in dance is... Um, I don't really have a background in dance. <laughs> You're uh, a great dancer, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose... In terms of movement, like I've, I've, I've performed for quite a long time as a musician, usually as a singer, uh, which is a, I, yeah, it's always a bodily experience. Like you always have to make decisions about how you, how you present yourself. Uh, so I, I, I think I'm a kind of, I'm a kind of layman uh, dancer, uh, and I'm so I, I guess I'm trying to bring my maybe unique experience to to the form, my uninformed, you know, untrained experience. I, I, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I recently saw your name in the credits for uh, China Girl, um, Top of the Lake. Uh, you were working with Mark Bradshaw, who's uh, who does a lot of, who I knew at Kofa, and he has done a lot of Jane Campy and stuff. What were you doing on that TV series? Mark is a really wonderful composer that I have known for a few years now. We worked on, or he brought me in to work on a piece of Martin Delamo's uh, dance work in yep. 2012 um, called Anatomy of an Afternoon. He just brought me in to do electronics basically on stage with two instrumentalists. Uh, so I've known him for quite a while and he brought me into this project because the second season, that second season of Top of the Lake, uh, is a lot more expansive spatially than the first one because the first one is just in this tiny town in New Zealand. Mm. This one's in Sydney, goes goes to a lot of places, there's a lot of situations. Uh, so I think he wanted to expand the sound palette of the soundtrack. Uh, so brought me in to uh, work on a small proportion of the music, uh, particularly in the latest... Um, episodes if you if you're in that series at the moment. <laughs> um, and Marcus, we've got a bit of a sample of your musical component for um, praise. Can you tell us about what we're about to hear? So what we're going to hear is the Polyphony Choir performing a version of the piece that we're going to be performing at Underbelly, um, an early version that's uh, much shorter. Uh, and it's going it, to, it's sort of, think of it as about five minutes into the performance, uh, as it will be in Underbelly. Uh, and I, th I think, um, imagine 30 people with uh, wooden stakes um, <laughs> above their heads, um, smacking them together every few seconds. That's kind of the image okay. so far. You've set the scene. <laughs> we heard it a little bit earlier and it's bloody fab. This is a bit of praise.
Okay. That was 341 by Cooper Bauman. And before that, we had a bit of an excerpt um, of Marcus Wells' amazing um, choral uh, praise. Um, hey, what's on this week? We're just about run out of time, but what uh, are some spotlights? Week. Sydney Contemporary and Spring 1883 are both opening and will be on next weekend. And there are events on every night from Thursday into the weekend. My friend Hahan or Uji Handoko from Yogyakarta is presenting Speculative Entertainment Number 1, the Sydney edition at Sydney Contemporary, and I cannot wait. Uh, the Artist Party is on an art space this Friday to celebrate Sydney Contemporary. And it'll be a night of live music, open studios, and include a unique performance of Dropping Tears together by Rabia Nasir and Hermat Ulain. National uh, Young Writers Festival launches on at Cake Wines on Tuesday. And Orbit at Down Under Space below Frieda's is opening this week too. And thank you to all our guests today. That was bloody magnificent. We had John Safran right at the top, Rosalind Helper and the amazing uh, practitioner Marcus Whale. Um, thank you to all of the crew that bring together Canvas. It's brought to you by a team of artists, Abdul Abdullah, David Capra, myself, Nat Randall and Aurora Scott and our amazing um, team of producers. Um, thank you for listening. We're happy gonna Father's Day happy all your fathers out there. <laughs> happy Father's Day. <laughs> now uh, back to our curated tracks. Um, stay tuned for Weekend Lunch with uh, Chris Mofazal, don't turn that dial. We'll see you next week.
This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Listener.